0: Hello everyone, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Patient Convert Podcast. I have an amazing guest with me today. She is one of my students in Physician Liaison University, an incredible Physician Liaison, and she does so much inside our Physician Liaison University community, and she has so much to bring to the table today. And we discussed on having her on a podcast because. We wanted to talk about some of the bigger challenges of large organizations and strategies that she can talk to us about, about being effective, building a program, going through data and working with so many physicians. So I would like to introduce my student, Kelly, Kelly Montgomery. Say hi, Kelly. Hi, thanks for having (laughs) me on your podcast. Yeah, of course. We're excited to have you on. So tell us a little bit about your organization.
1: Well, I work for Providence Hospital in Mobile, Alabama, and we're a part of a larger um, healthcare organization called Ascension Healthcare, which is the largest nonprofit in the nation. Um, specifically, I work for the hospital and for the Providence Medical Group. So I have 18 practices with 65, I think at last count, physicians that I'm out in the community marketing for um, Providence Hospital. Um, I started out my career, um, I was a front desk person at a uh urology office. So um, I gained some operational knowledge from there. Then I moved over to um, Gulf Coast Cancer Center, which is a U.S. oncology practice. Um, And I worked there for 11 years in operations and then eventually moved over into the liaison role. So I think I have kind of a unique perspective on this position.
0: Oh, definitely. Starting as a front desk, though, that's really interesting because we get a lot of those questions, and I know you know throughout the course, um, kind of the journey of becoming a physician liaison. Everyone has a unique journey, but what do you think in your experience kind of getting that experience as a front desk, maybe you used in your physician liaison marketing or how did that apply as you grew your career into physician liaison marketing?
1: That's a great question. Um, I do think that my operational background has helped me tremendously in this career. Um, So when I was working in the office staff or when I was managing the office staff also, sometimes you'd see like pharmaceutic, pharmaceutical reps that would come in and they sort of discounted the front office staff right from the beginning. Like they only wanted to talk to the doctors. And I always remembered how that felt, especially early on in my career. You know, you don't feel as important as sometimes as that clinical staff. And so um, that specifically always stuck with me. So I always sort of make it my mission to kind of connect with that office staff just as much as the physician, because you'd be surprised how much power they have over the referral process on the back end. so um, definitely do. Definitely. Yeah, And then also with the operations, you know, having seen it from the operational standpoint of, you know, knowing the process of how you make an appointment and how you interact with those other physicians and, you know, some of the pitfalls that have come along in my career, I think have really sort of given me some knowledge that has helped me in the liaison career to sort of be able to communicate with the other offices and with my own staff.
0: I think that would be a huge advantage because not only do you have experience with the front desk. So I'm sure you have people that stick out, like you said, in your mind of that were successful or or unsuccessful for certain reasons and making sure, like you said, you don't do the same mistakes. And then the operational side is huge because you can talk about actual referral systems and processes that you can approve and let them know that you actually understand it. Were there ways you involved that in your messaging as far as meeting with gatekeepers and also talking with, referral coordinators
1: and office managers about referral systems? Yes. So I think that when you are dealing with a referring office staff, office manager, referral coordinator, front desk, whoever you're dealing with, I think they always appreciate the fact that you have knowledge behind what you're saying. Like you don't have, you have more than just a 30 second elevator speech. You know, (laughs) when they ask you a question about a Medicare HMO program, if you know how to answer those questions and how to take care of those referrals, or if they ask you about, you know, a radiology test, you know, like, oh, an MRI, I'm going to need a pre-cert if it's Blue Cross Blue Shield, those kind of things. I think if you can show your knowledge about that, I think it goes a long way um, and having them open up and they just see you as more than just somebody with a marketing degree who brings cookies, which I don't do anymore because of your program, by the way.
0: Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. But you, you speak to us such a good point and you even gave quick examples, um, but what a difference that makes to a front desk when you're speaking with them, they understand how plugged in you are. And I believe that makes a big difference in deciding whether you are someone that's qualified enough to speak with a referring provider because you're already communicating in that initial how many seconds um, that you are part of this program, that you are part of this colleague, and you can get these things done. And just all involves simple examples, like you said. So what has helped you the most in communicating with front desk and um, executive staff members of other organizations? as far as terminology and verbiage that you help define yourself as the authority in the space?
1: I think that um, you have to be deeply rooted in all of your practices, whether it be one or whether you have, you know, 18 different practices like I do, you need to know the vernacular, you need to know the jargon, you need to be able to, to talk the talk. Um, And not only that, you need to like really be engaged in it and really understand the message that you're delivering to You need to, you know, if you're delivering a new program on, for instance, we have a new program where we are allowing referring physicians to use an order facilitator to schedule CTs and MRIs, and then we're getting uh-huh. the pre-cert for them, um, which is such a cool selling point because those pre-certs take so much time um, at an office level to get completed that if we take that burden on themselves, that makes us a huge advantage. So because I have been in the office before and I've had to do those crazy pre-certs and I know how long it takes (laughs) and the burden it is, I feel like I can relate to them when it comes to issues like that. Like, you know, I've been there, like, I know how long it takes. What if we took that burden from you? How much would that help you? Those kind of conversations are easier to have when you have the knowledge behind it. It's so true and often forgotten. We talk a lot yeah. about
0: clinical knowledge and relating to patient care as far as the physician, but we don't often talk about how important it is to kind of understand the referral process when it comes to the front desk too. Like you said at the very beginning is you noticed at, when you were working the front desk, how often you would see wraps maybe make you feel Like you weren't an important factor in this process and how you decided when you went out in the field that you were going to change that as a physician liaison, then maybe there's ways as physician liaisons we need to better connect and interview with our front desk staff member on what would be important to them and initial messaging that
1: would allow them, you know, to grant us access back. Right. It's so important to connect with every member of the staff that you encounter. You know, if they have a picture of, you know, a little kid, ask them about that. Oh, is that your son? Is that your, you know, granddaughter? Whatever. If they have right. pictures of pets, connect with them about that. I think I heard on one of your earlier podcasts, one of the liaisons say that um, she saw a picture of a horse at a physician who was clearly disengaged. Yeah. And as soon as she brought it up, you know, and started talking about horses, the entire conversation shifted. And I think that happens not only with your physicians, but with the office staff that you engage with, too. You know, really? Remember those little details that they tell you, you know, oh, like, oh, my my son's getting ready for prom or something like that. Write it down. Remember the next time you go in there and say, hey, how did your son's prom go? You know, did everything right. turn out great? You know, that kind of thing. And I think that they remember that and they everyone feels that way. Everybody wants to feel important. So go out of your way to make them feel that way. And, you know, not only does that develop a level of trust, but it also gets you time with their doctors. Oh, absolutely. Making them feel important,
0: recognizing, and it's a great way to build a genuine relationship because each person's going to be different. Like you said, maybe it's, you know, somebody's prom, maybe it's a picture of an animal, but it can also help maybe liaisons kind of connect and remember the conversations as well.
1: Right. And not only in referring practices, you need to be connected with your own staff. Um, even if you have a lot of staff, you know, um, those front office especially, um, they're going to hear all the gossip in the medical community. Oh, did you hear that Dr. So-and-so is unhappy? Because they all talk. That's so true. (laughs) They don't. don't, I mean, we don't want to be gossips, but at the same time, we want to be a part of those conversations because, you know, there's some truth in all of those things. Right. So you you want to have that relationship with your staff, especially where they feel like they can come to you and say, hey, my friend said that Dr. So-and-so was leaving to go to the competitor because those are, you know, vital pieces of information information for your strategy to know whether oh. you, know, you need to target or not target that physician going forward.
0: I couldn't so need, agree more.
1: Yeah, you need to have those relationships built so that they think when they hear those kind of things, they think about you so that they can then bring that information to you. You don't want to be like a marketer or a liaison that sort of lives on their own island. You want to make sure that right. your staff feels like you're part of the team. So how do you get that really crucial staff buy-in? So you have to develop that level of trust. You have to build those relationships. Like we talk about in PLU all the time. You want to be relatable to them. If they are having an office lunch, sit down and have lunch with them. If they, you know, if you know somebody just had a baby, stop in, you know, ask ask to see pictures, you know, all of those kind of things, just like you would do in any relationship in your personal life, you have to be plugged into them somehow. So you have to find ways to be plugged into all of those environments so that they feel like you're a part of the team, even though they don't see you all the time, because they have to be open to you. because. When you're at a referring doctor's office and they say, well, you know what, I don't refer any patients to Dr. John Doe anymore because, you know, that office did X, Y, Z, you need to have a relationship with your staff so that you can go to them and say, this is a problem and that they're open to receive that. You need to be a part of the team and not just some outside entity that's telling them everything they do is wrong because that's going to be a whole different kind of reception that you get from them.
0: You bring up such a great point, Kelly. That is so true because we are in the field so often we can get really distant with our staff members. And I know when I started as a liaison, that was something I had to learn the hard way was, um, you know, my distance wasn't perceived as well. And I had to learn creative ways to make sure, like you said, I started building relationships with my own staff and it, it tremendously was so valuable to me as a liaison it made such a difference in the program and honestly it's a lot more fun so when you were getting to know your staff with such a large territory how do you help with communication with so many different staff members and so many different territories and so many different physicians not only do you have their buy-in but how do you continue to communicate or make communication easy so that you never get that issue where maybe a practice calls and they don't alert you or let you know or know who to direct it to, um, or maybe it's something that might concern you. So how do you improve your communication with your team
1: and your program? So what I do, if there's a particular practice that I'm targeting, like let's say I'm going to do an ENT practice. So my focus for the next two days is going to be on ENT. So I will you know, go in and visit with a doctor and the office manager very quickly. I don't take up too much time and just let them know like, Hey, I'm going to be marketing. I'm going to be talking about, you know, whatever procedure is on the, agenda for the next two days is there anything I need to know is there anything going on in the market that I should be aware of so I have those open conversations with them I also usually stop and chat with the front office for the all those same reasons because sometimes they know stuff that they haven't told anybody yet that they have been waiting to tell me <laughs> right you never know <laughs> right or that they didn't think it was important until I asked those kind of conversations Of course, of course <laughs> yeah and then as far as the executive leadership, um, I send a biweekly report to the CEO of the hospital and also um, the, the rest of the leadership team that um, I report to um, with just the visits that I've made, notes that were made, you know, things that may or may not be happening in the community. You know, this practice might be merging, this one, right. you know, might be opening, those kind of and things. And those key highlight type information. Right. Um, and that's not so much, you know, if I, you know, if I had a lunch, if I learned something like that, that's, that's one thing I want to say is if... And I know that, you know, we're not big on lunches and we're not big on giveaways. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they're important, but never just schedule a lunch to check a box to say, well, I was supposed to have three lunches this quarter and I need to get one. So let me just do it. Never do that without a purpose because, you know, you don't want to lose the credibility that you have gained with that referring doctor or with whatever doctor you're taking with you to.
0: Yeah. And that is absolutely spot on. That is exactly kind of what we talk about in physician leads on university. We're not big on lunches, like you said, just to check a box or bribe our way back, it's all about enhancing relationships and being strategic about lunches and utilizing that time to the best of our ability. And I think sometimes, and I don't know, lunches have been abused in the past with different types of reps. And we want to make sure that we're really strategic. And I think that's such a good point. Don't just schedule lunch because you need to schedule lunch. Make sure you're using it as a really valuable tool and how you're going to be strategic about it. And it's not a scapegoat, or checking that box. And I think that's a that's a really good point.
1: Have you used lunches to help enhance and further enhance referral relationships? I have. Uh, we have a breast surgeon who was fairly new to the area. Um, and, you know, female breast surgeons tend to do better than male breast surgeons, just because females t- typically are more comfortable seeing a oh, surgeon. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, I don't know. I've not read any studies that said that, but that has been <laughs> my experience.
0: All right, you guys, you heard it here. <laughs> Kelly says, <I'll- laughs>
1: but you know, it, I scheduled some lunches because I wanted to get her in front of like OBGYN clinics um, and we wanted to see all of the doctors, which is, you know, nearly impossible sometimes Always. unless you yeah. schedule a breakfast or lunch because you want to get the biggest bang for your buck. Absolutely. But, you know, I wanted her to have an audience with them. So, you know, those situations I think are warranted. Now, would I just schedule one, you know, willy nilly because I, you know, I have some sort of quoted to meet? I would, I would never do that because you never want to waste your physician's time because then they will never go with you again, ever. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah. But, if they have a miserable <laughs> experience, then you just lost their support, which is a good question because, again, you're working with such a large organization and so many different specialties. How do you, as a physician liaison with your organization, kind of get that support or physician buy-in for your program?
1: I would say the biggest way to get buy-in from physicians is using your data. I am a huge believer in data. Love it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um physicians tend to be in my experience very analytical minded um so if you can prove to them your value if you can say okay i saw this physician um January the 5th and January the 8th, they sent you a patient and they've never sent you a patient before. I think that that immediately perks their ears and makes them pay more attention to you. If you could look at numbers year over year, like, okay, well, you know, I worked with ENT practice and year over year um, for the month of January, they're, um, consults have increased, if that's what you're looking at, um, consults right. have increased, you know, 15%, then I think that's going to make your other specialties go, huh, maybe I should need to go out there and make those visits and do <laughs> similar things.
0: Yeah, it's kind of that effect. And you bring up a good point. Sometimes some physicians are more supportive than others, but a great way to kind of get some of those others on board, like you said, is maybe showing that data and How do you balance with so many different physicians and the specialties on who you want to focus on and what you need to do, even if some of them
1: aren't quite as supportive? So I meet with our leadership team um, at the beginning of every fiscal year, and we establish what the main priorities are for the hospital, um, for the system, for the medical group. And those are the ones that, frankly, I spend the majority of my time on. You know, my salary is based around those type of right. uh, metrics. But you don't ever want to ignore the other aspects of the hospital. Of well, one thing that, yeah, one thing that's tough to manage is that. Um, physicians, their staff, everyone, they think that they can manage your time better than you can. So you have to, my best advice to someone who's new in this field is to be the manager of your own calendar. Take leadership. (laughs) That's a big one. Yes. Yeah. You have to take ownership of your own calendar. Otherwise you will run yourself ragged, um, So you just, you know, make your strategy, you make your strategic plan, you determine, you know, how much time those 40 visits for um, gastroenterology are going to take. And you sort of map that out on your calendar. Um, I'm a firm believer if it's not on my calendar, it's not going to happen because I'm not going to remember.
0: it. (laughs) So you very organized. So you bring up a good point and balancing these different specialties. Do you see, do you go to territories and then market different physicians depending on the referring physicians in that territory? Or did you, like you said, pick a specialty and then kind of focus on that for the next few days or few weeks and then pick another specialty? How do you usually so, like to do it personally to help you keep organized and be effective?
1: So it's all a huge balancing act, you know, and sometimes it changes daily. So I typically I like to focus on a particular specialty because I think it's less confusing message wise. When you're going into a practice, you don't want to go in and say, Hey, I'm here to talk about gastroenterology, ENT, breast surgery, and primary care. You you only have like 30 seconds. So (laughs) you need to make sure you need to make sure that your message is as focused as it can be. Um, saying that, like I have a remote clinic, um, that I will go to and it's, you know, it's quite a haul. So I make sure I go with my multiple flyers for my multiple things that I'm covering. Um, And I'm still strategic, like if my focus is, let's say gastroenterology, then I'm still going to talk about gastroenterology. But if there's outlying clinics where I think, you know, ENT might benefit, breast surgery might benefit, then I might at least leave some literature behind, but I still Uh make my focus gastroenterology, if that makes sense.
0: No, it definitely does. It it probably helps you too in defining your message. Um, You can be a little bit more clear and strategic with what you're going to say and how you're going to interact. And of course, it probably makes it easier for some follow-up marketing Um, Because you can have new specialties to talk about. Is that something that you do? Or when it comes to follow-up, do you struggle between continuing that specialty or bringing up a new specialty?
1: Well, I'll usually say something like, you know, hey, you know, I'm Kelly from Providence. I don't know if you remember me from last time, but I know last time we talked about Dr. Bleakley, our breast surgeon, but um, I wanted to also tell you that, you know, we have a new gastroenterologist and, you know, we might talk about her for a few minutes, too. So I sort of mentioned the last time to sort of, you know, remind them that I'm credible, that I proved to you last time that I'm awesome, but that I'm also still awesome about this other message.
0: (laughs) I'm the go-to person, but that's true. That's really important, even in that example of how you said it, that I hope the listeners are listening to Kelly when she says that is, it's not always about just one physician. If you kind of create a conversation and you initially kind of say that your importance in the role is connecting their practice with the physicians they need and i love that example because you quickly did that in in, what a sentence i think Um, so it doesn't have to be overcomplicated to kind of explain your position there and i liked that that was really great i hope listeners are paying attention um because that is how you represent different physicians and specialties and it all goes back to redefining your role as a liaison and, and your job of connecting specialists and referring physicians
1: and how you are the point person for that practice. Right, right. Um, and, you know, we do a lot of like um, sort of events too. Like for instance, recently we had a women's provider open house, which was oh, really kind fine. of a cool, yeah. unique thing. Um, you know, there was, you know, wine and snacks and you know, all the things that women love, <laughs>
0: I'm in, I'm in.
1: It, it, it was sort of a, uh, a unique way to connect the female providers together. Um, I think there's a little bit of a solidarity there between female providers where, you know, they they and like to a hang out together with people with similar interest. And, you know, um, some of the doctors that we had were new to the area. They had just moved here. So it also gave them an opportunity to you know meet their peers, which is just another level of building that trust and that relationship, which helps me okay. in the long run with those referral patterns.
0: Oh, definitely. And your role as a liaison involves some of these community type events as well. Right, Kelly? Say, I'm sorry, say that again? Your role as a liaison involves community type events as well. And yes, sometimes absolutely. We think of liaisons just visiting offices, but we really have a lot, like you said, it's a balancing act, which we may have to title the podcast that. <laughs> it's a balancing act because there's so much going on, not only between physicians and territory specialties and executive team members and staff, but we do so much in the community and the field as well. And I love that example of getting creative and having a physician, women's physician-based um, event that you guys can meet and network, but are there other ways that you get plugged in in the community as a physician liaison besides just visiting with referring physicians?
1: Absolutely. We participate in health fairs. You know, we may go and provide, you know, free, you know, blood pressure checks or glucose monitoring those type things, which, you know, helps enhance our primary care network. Um, you know, we may participate in a bridal expo, which seems like a weird thing for a physician's office to be a part of. But um, I have an ENT surgeon, Dr. Donnellan who also is a facial plastic specialist. She's a right. laser and facial specialist. So, I mean, you know, Botox, lasers, facials, all of those things are, you know, good selling points directly to the public. So I do, you know, bridal expos and, you know, just you just, I, I think that, right. I think the most important thing is don't only do the things that seem conventional. Definitely think I outside the box because you just never know—you know when that's going to pay off. If I spend four hours on a Saturday at a bridal expo and we only get one patient, well, then that was worth the hundred dollars it took me to have a table there because that's going to more than pay for itself. You have to be able to think of—you know—outside of the box and think about the return on investment.
0: Well, and you're so right too. We talk in POU about expanding our network and getting out in the community as well. And that's so true. You never know where you can expand your network, build new connections, but also reach different types of patients or ideal type of patients. I know my favorite part with community events besides the amazing swag. I cannot resist a good chip clip. So if any of you guys are listening, uh, if are at an event, I'm a big fan of chip clips. I'm always going to booths. But it's really fun to get to meet with other practice members, because sometimes with these health events, like you were talking about, you can have other referring physicians even there, or specialists, and the actual physicians there, but, or maybe someone else important, as far as their staff goes, too, and this was kind of one of my favorite parts during these events, was to introduce myself in a more relaxed environment, do you agree?
1: Absolutely, especially um, if you can get into, like, a city-sponsored health fair event, I found those hugely beneficial, because Ah, good advice. Yeah, you might meet, you know, a nurse practitioner or a office manager or, you know, a medical assistant might be there. Um, you know, never underestimate the power of any person in that office to shift the focus of a referral. Um, they might say, you know, their doctor might come out and say, well, gosh, you know, I, I don't know where to send my primary care doctors or my patients that need primary care. Oh, well, you know what? I just met Kelly Montgomery. I have her card. I know she has a whole network of primary care. Let's reach out to her and see what she thinks. Yes, so Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, county, you know, city, you know, any any sort of health fair, I'm always game to be a part of because uh, you get direct patient marketing. And then you also there's always somebody like you said, from another referring doctor's office that you can meet and encounter and build a relationship with.
0: Oh, yeah. And it's fun to go around like it's it's nice to get to meet them. And I like how you said that I just met Kelly at this event. Let me give her a call. It almost creates a more genuine connection and relationship when you're both part of this event together, you're both putting it on and you can take the time to kind of go around other booths and ask about that. So that's really good advice for the listeners out there. It's something obviously both Kelly and I enjoy. And- um, <laughs> We really have the greatest job in the
1: world. We really I do.
0: I know, right? <laughs> the flexibility and that you brought up leadership and we'll have to talk a little bit more about that. But one thing that you brought up that we get so many questions and I think you're gonna already know what this is, about physician liaison marketing, and I think could be one of the, if not the number one challenge that physician liaisons face, but the data. Let's talk (laughs) about the data, how important it is to the program and how you have utilized and taken leadership of your program, not only implementing it,
1: but using data to create success for yourself. So I firmly believe that you cannot be successful in this career without data. You oh, cannot be successful by chance. You have <laughs> got to have the data to back it up. Um, physicians, as, as a rule, not all of them, but a lot of them will say, oh, well, you don't have to go see it after John Doe because he sends me all of his patients. Um, I can't tell you how many times I have been able to look at <laughs> same data oh and said, gosh. oh, really? I well, like um, yeah, he's not because he sent you know, half of his patients to our competing oh. hospital. Um, I love hearing and it, someone else say that. That's so yes. true. It happens to me every single time, Kelly. <laughs> yes. It's crazy. So um if you do not have access to claims data, you need to find someone who will let you have it. (laughs) It's it's life-changing. I did my, probably my first six months of a physician liaison position. We didn't have that in place yet. And I really felt like I was just flying blind. I had internal data. Like I could see like, okay, John Doe sent me 10 patients in January. And in February, he sent me two. Clearly something's wrong. But when you have that claims data that you can also see, you can actually see where those patients have gone. Like, okay, well, he's not sending them here. Now he's sending them to, you know, hospital X, Y, Z, that's our competitor. Um, And then you can sort of, um, you know, I I follow all my competitors on Facebook, Instagram, all of those. I do too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I can see, well, gosh, you know, they opened a new, uh, I don't know, stroke center. So clearly that must be having an impact. And then I, you know, meet with leadership and sort of come up with a strategy on how to combat that message.
0: It's important Um, to kind of be aware of competitors in the area. How do you stand out from your competitors? I know you said you definitely keep in touch and you follow them, which I could not agree more. Even as a marketer, that's something I teach so many people. Don't ignore your competitors. Make sure you are always plugged in with what's going on. Not in a way that, you know, you get obsessed with it, but it's always good and healthy to know what works and what doesn't work. So how do you, with this organization, help stand out from competitors in your area. And even as a physician liaison, that's a really big job.
1: Yeah. So like I said, I follow all of their social media presence because I think, you know, I can find out if my competitor is doing a free health screening in February or something like that. And I can see if that's an event that we need to do but it also helps me to be proactive. Like, okay, I don't see that they have anything like that posted. Maybe this is a good idea. Let me meet with leadership and see if this is, you know, a way to get more patients in the door. Um, I think one of the things that I do um, is I I try my best not to ever talk about the competitor when I'm in a referring doctor's office. I feel like I have a limited amount of time. So I would never badmouth right. my competitor and say, well, we do this better Absolutely. than them because they do, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, I do my and best. I think that's a great rule of thumb for once We don't need to
0: <laughs> be in there talking poorly about competitors. We have enough to say, like you said, plenty. Exactly.
1: Um, and so I am reading this book. It's called Presuasion. Um, And he even talks about that. Um, He talks about a study they did um, about um, cameras for the Canon company. And they were comparing, they were trying to get, excuse me, they were trying to get customers to purchase this specific Canon product. And they surveyed a bunch of Consumers and they were comparing their model to another competitor's model. And then they had another group focus group where they only talked about the benefits of the camera, the Canon camera. And overwhelmingly, the people who only had information about Canon and the quality of their product Wanted to immediately go out and purchase the product. Um, And I think that that says something because they didn't spend time talking about the competitor, they didn't waste time and shift focus and make them focus on multiple things. They were, you know, singularly focused on the objective. And I think that's where we need to keep every interaction that we have. That's a really good point too, is
0: kind of be really targeted with our messaging. We can talk about competitive advantages, but without naming competitors or going into competitors, more about competitive advantages as far as benefits for those physicians in working with our organization. So it's a really, I'm going to have to get that book. That's interesting. I'd like to look that up.
1: Yeah, it's a really great book. So, you know, when we want to go out in the field and if I want to talk about this new program we have where we're going to pre cert these radiology tests, I don't want to talk about the fact that, you know, we're doing it, but our competitor is not doing it. And so that makes us so much better. I don't mm-hmm. want to do that. Um, if they're having trouble getting the same pre-search from our competitors that they're having with us, then me just giving them an, an easier path, of, you know the path of least resistance is going to speak volumes in itself, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, definitely. It makes so much sense. And when you're working with your program. You mentioned to me, and Kelly is a huge part of our Physician Liaison University, she helps kind of direct conversations with other student members. And I think a lot of that, Kelly, is because you continue to learn. And that seems to be your personality is about always kind of gaining knowledge, even how you mentioned that book. Um, but when you started in this position you're currently in, did they, they didn't even have like a solid
1: Physician Liaison program, is that correct? They did not. So, Ascension as a whole has position liaisons, but in this region specifically, they did not have one. So, you know, kind of a big deal. (laughs) Right. So, when you walk into a situation like that, you need to be prepared to show your worth. So, you know, at the end of three months, you know, I can pull up, you know, one of the clinics that we had um, that was struggling and now they have like a 25% increase in consults or, and I can show things that I have done to directly contribute to that. Um, When I walk into a leadership meeting and they say, you know, I don't know why, you know, clinic A is having such issue. And I can say, well, it's because you've had an influx of competitors, you know, from this hospital or, you know, you need to be prepared with your data and your answers. And I think that and was I'll the way that I was able to pr- sort of prove myself in this role and prove the value of this role was because, you know, going back to that data, I know my data backwards and forwards. Um, there's probably not going to be a question that you could ask me about one of my clinics. That I wouldn't be able to answer in regards to, you know, where their numbers are, who their competitors are, who's entered the market in the past year and who's left. Um, you just need to like be a student of your data and be in it constantly.
0: That is so true. And that is, we talk about that in Physician Liaison University, but what Kelly brings up and why we stress it so much in this podcast is because it just is underused, I think, in a lot of programs, unfortunately, is data. And data is, like you said, not only ways to get a healthy view of what's currently happening, but ways to provide answers to different trends and patterns, ways to provide more information information and have new innovative ideas to talk with your physicians so when you were building this program you came on and i mean essentially this foundation didn't exist so what was some of the biggest hurdles you went through as you started to kind of grow in your new role here and build out this program
1: so i would say one of the biggest hurdles was just developing a call schedule so schedule okay yeah when right so when i came on here i worked Before I came on here, I worked for a cancer, a radiation cancer clinic Mm -hmm. um, that covered actually similar regions to where I'm at now. So, you know, I knew... The region as a whole. But as you can imagine, it, the physicians you call on for radiation oncology are going to be different than the ones you call on for ENT, for gastroenterology, for right, primary different. care. Mm-hmm. So I had the basis, but I mean, Google was my friend, like, you know, primary care in 36608 <laughs> zip code. Um all of those things. What I wish that I would have had were tools like Badger Mapping, um, Salesforce, those kind of things that sort of help you develop those in an easier way. But yeah. um, when, when I came on here, it was all manual. <laughs> Oh my goodness! So and it, and it still is, and I think we're going to move to badger mapping at some point. But, oh, good! Um, I hope you do. It's a really awesome program. Yeah, but and you know, that was probably my my biggest struggle. The other struggle was, you know, they never had these physicians that I work with, never had people who were saying, okay, I need 30 minutes of your time. You know, you tell me when at your convenience, you know, look at your surgery schedule, your clinic schedule, and tell me when it is. And I'm going to spend 30 minutes talking about nothing but how to market your practice. And I think some of them didn't know how to take that.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> how strange it was, how
1: foreign that must have been for them.
0: And so right. coming in and telling them that they have to do this now, they have to get out there.
1: Right. Because I, I think that, you know, a lot of the organization um, from a marketing standpoint, maybe with well, not from a marketing standpoint, that's not fair. We have a marketing department, but from a liaison standpoint, they, they never had anybody representing them in the field. And I think that once again, going back to data, once I could say, you know, since I've been seeing Dr. So-and-so and mentioning you every time I go in there, look at the difference in your referral patterns. I think that that's you know, proved myself to them. Um, so the biggest hurdle, number one, was developing the call schedule. And then the second hurdle was, you know, getting physician buy-in, doing all those things we talked about previously in this podcast.
0: Which is huge. And then, and now where Kelly is today, she is a very successful physician liaison, and she has built out her program. But as she talks about building in data, why I wanted to do so much on this podcast today is It is a lot different when you're working in one territory with one practice than building out an entire program. And physician liaisons can feel overwhelmed, whether they're part of a large organization or a smaller organization, organizing, tracking, building data, and staying in front of it. But it's all about leadership. And do you think early on, did you make a decision on how you were going to take leadership? And did you have any resistance in that position or, or, I mean, any resistance in that position or have to kind of define
1: your role as a leader as a liaison so fortunately the leadership of the hospital and the leadership team for the medical group have been very supportive of me from the beginning so i'm very i am incredibly fortunate that way um the unfortunate part was you know you know, I didn't start at the beginning of a fiscal year, so there was no budget set out for me. So that made things kind of challenging because, you know, right, programs, lunches, those those kind of things that then that becomes a challenge. I become, um, I'm on a shoestring budget, you know, for a little while <laughs> while I'm developing. So that, you know, was a challenge. But um, they have been, you know, incredibly supportive of me, especially when they could start to see the results of my work. Um, the only and I won't say that they were um, resistant to it, but one of the issues that I had was just getting the internal data. Like, who do I ask to know who Dr. So-and-so's referring doctors are? (laughs) Where do I get that information from? What program do I use? Who do I ask for that? And are they going to be mad if I ask for that every month? Because I'm going to, so I need to know how to navigate. These
0: are such (laughs) big questions, though, Kelly. How many people even in our group alone have these questions um, throughout Facebook on trying to get data? And you just, you nailed it. When you said, who do I even need to go to? And what am I supposed to be collecting? How did you navigate that? How did you decide and and figure out and take leadership in that part?
1: Well, um, I started with the executive director and, you know, he wasn't entirely sure where to get that data because nobody had ever asked for that sort of data. (laughs) Because you're the first. So then, then, you know, yeah, I started with the executive director. Then I went to the operations managers and they weren't entirely sure either. Some of the office managers gave me pieces of information or, you know, would tell me where to go. But, um, you know, like you need to know who the referring doctors are. So there's a specific place that a front desk person has to enter that into a field because if it's not entered, then, you know, trash in and trash out your reports at the end of the day are not any good. So right. you have to have, that goes back to having buy-in from your staff, from your office manager, from your operations managers to go in and say, hey, I know you've never entered that field before because it was never important. Now it is. Now so, it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're going to do I this that from dad. now on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. So, you know, that was, you know, sort of a struggle at the beginning. Probably the most resistance I've gotten was like, we need to be utilizing these fields appropriately. Otherwise, I feel like I'm um, out here marketing like a landmine where I need to market like a sniper. Right. So it's a really, really true. Yeah. And I have to have that data to be able to do that. And, you know, I've gotten buy-in from all the practices, you know, over time, some of them obviously were easier than others.
0: (laughs) And, and you're always going to face that as a liaison in the field. Some are going to be easier than others. But I like how you brought right. that all back on initially building that relationship and buying with your physicians and staff. So you were able to kind of overcome this hurdle. And and data is is king when it comes to physician liaison mm-hmm. marketing. It really, really is. And it is so important to our success. And you mentioned claims data and all the different ways we can look at data, especially with different specialties. You're looking at different different types of data, and we need to be strategic with that.
1: Absolutely. Um, You need to utilize it and um, then communicate it properly because, you know, I I assume every claims, I've I've used two different um, claim sources, um, and both of them, you know, you can only get private pay claims data. So you need to make sure when you communicate that to your doctors, to your leadership, that you're not communicating that as this is, they absolutely sent 100 patients to so-and-so. You need to make sure that you communicate that as trends and not, you know, finite data. Oh, yeah. I actually love
0: data. I love reporting ROI. And because I like the idea of not only getting to see where my efforts are working, but I like the idea of, of being able to be creative to increase not only revenue and procedures and surgeries and patients, but don't you like the idea that data can be fun? And I think a lot of physician liaisons get a little bit nervous when it comes to data reporting as it's an evaluation of them personally. And
1: that's just not the case. Do you agree, Kelly? I, I do agree with that. I think that um, you have to look at data as a validation and not like a reprimand tool. Um, exactly. I mean, it validates all the effort you're doing, even if it's not how you expected the data to go. If, if you have, you know, you hosted dinner about lung cancer, but your pulmonologists are still not referring to your, you know, radiation oncologist. Right. Well, then, well, then you know that that's probably not the best Way to market that, and that's when you go onto the physician <laughs> on university, you know, face to face, and say, "Hey, <laughs> anybody had any success in this?"
0: <laughs> Absolutely, and and that's a big part too. Is um, it is not an evaluation tool, and I've even used data if it didn't go in my favor. Let's say I had a drop, and I'm sure you've experienced this too. Maybe you've seen a trend go lower, and you're like, "What's going on?" I'm, I'm killing it out there, and it can be something so simple to explain, like you mentioned even earlier in the podcast, maybe it's your top referring physician or physicians in an area that transferred to a different practice or location. Mm -hmm. And that can be a huge loss of referrals, but not because we're not doing our job, just because data can show you so much more. And then you can ask the right questions when you're in clinic. So I love the stress on data, but let's talk about how important it is to build a community as liaison. Kelly has been 100% plugged in and supportive during this whole physician liaison university process. Um, I've been able to connect with Kelly, talk with Kelly. We give each other advice and tips. She also helps other liaisons in the group. And I don't know about you, Kelly, but when I started, I always felt very isolated as a physician liaison. And I think it's really, really important that we share our advice, our stories, our tips, even our failures so others can learn and relate. And connect. So what are ways that you connect with other physician liaisons and what
1: advice do you have for physician liaisons looking to
0: connect with you? Um,
1: I would say you definitely need to be a part of the physician liaison university. I would say (laughs) when you get, when you get down to like the nitty gritty, we're all salespeople, right? Right, right. So, you know, you're going to have your competing markets. They have their own liaisons, but clearly they're not going to be a source of information. You're not going to be able to like have, you know, ask one, them you exactly say, with your number one competitor mean, to be like, no, how are you moving the needle on pulmonology or something right, like that? Right. So um, physician liaison university gives you the opportunity to network with people who share your same skill set, your same, you know, mind for growth, um, but they're not your competitor. So they can be completely open and honest with whatever their, you know, goals, strategies, um, tips and tricks are. Um, I think that's probably the, the biggest asset is just we become like a, you know, a collective mind of ideas. <laughs> and strategies.
0: Definitely a physician liaison family for sure now. <laughs> absolutely.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, and it feels great to be able to, you know, if somebody is encountering a situation that, you know, you've been there before, you can say, well, you know, I've had that same issue and this is how I dealt with it. Um It's just a, a really awesome thing to sort of be a part of that community. And um this really is the only community that I've found that's really like that. Oh, well, thank
0: you. I'm happy to hear that. That is definitely our goal in Physician Liaison University, as Kelly talked about. Not only do we have this amazing course, but she's really talking about we need to communicate. We need to share our stories. It's funny because until the conversation gets started, you don't realize how common some of these challenges or issues or, or hurdles or even success stories are. And it's such a relief, isn't it, to kind of see, thank God I'm not the only one going
1: through this. Um, Exactly. Like you, you know, you want, sometimes you get encounters with your doctors or your leadership. Um, You know, well, well, we've spent X amount of dollars on that dinner and nothing came out of it and blah, 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 blah. Well, you can sort of commiserate with your fellow people (laughs) and say, well, look, it's not just us. It wasn't any, you know, it wasn't the way we went about it. You know, this has, you know, been proven to be successful in other places. Maybe we should try it again. You just, you get to share ideas um, with your other people and you get to share in their successes and you get to commiserate in their losses. (laughs) (laughs)
0: So, so true. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, but you guys don't forget to connect with Kelly on social media or reach out to her organization because of the amazing difference they're making for patients in their area. So Kelly, can you remind the listeners on not only how they can connect with you, but your organization, your
1: physicians, and your incredible staff at Ascension? Absolutely. So you can go to providencehospital.org and that'll take you to our website. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Personally, I'm Kelly Montgomery. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, you know, all of those. And feel free to reach out to me and ask me any questions you might have.
0: And we'll make sure that we include the link to Ascension as well as Kelly's social media so you guys can connect with her there. Kelly, thank you so much. This was such a great interview. And I think you brought up some amazing points that physician liaisons can really learn from. And what would you add as a final note, as your biggest advice that you have for physician liaisons getting into this role or starting a program? So I
1: would say two points, never discount any member of the staff, develop trust with all of them Love it. And, and do not be afraid of your data.
0: Do not be afraid of your data. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you again, Kelly, and be sure to connect with her and Ascension. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's latest episode of the Patient Convert Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review on your favorite podcast platform. We are on Apple, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, and Spotify, or you can sign up to receive the latest episode via email. Just check it out on my agency website or my personal website. And if you are looking for more amazing healthcare marketing information or just to engage, check us out at Entropy.com. Dot com. And for any of my amazing physician liaisons out there interested in growing their physician referrals or learning the strategies that it takes to build highly engaged physician referral networks, check out my website, KellyNot.com, where I have free webinars, free downloads, and of course, my online physician liaison training course